HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. We are back, you guys. uh, You know, there's some big news on both of our coasts. Uh, Mm -hmm. Big news today here, but I guess it already happened in New York last week, uh, but after our show last week. uh, Masks. So statewide in California, uh, it's no longer a requirement, which is exciting, but also I'm kind of like, eh. I'm still going to keep one in my pocket. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like scarousing. I'm scared, but a little aroused. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Did you read my diary? The word is hornified. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hornified. Horrified, but also a little bit horny. Uh, yeah. We did it the day after the show last week, Thursday, statewide uh, mask mandate and vaccination check got dropped. We're no longer required to wear masks or check vaccination or ID. However, I've yet to go anywhere, including all of my businesses that isn't doing it still. So everyone's still doing it. I think out of, uh, you know, habit and caution, I think, um, I don't know what you feel about in California, but I think that, you know, when we look at it just from a political point of view, it seems that many, um, you know, blue States as it were are, uh, coming forward and changing because they saw the sort of terror that it wreaked upon them by not changing sooner, um, with voting and polls. So I hope this isn't just a political move, uh, you know, the numbers are in, in New York are low. I assume they're low in California, but you can speak to that, Damon. I mean, yeah, they're they're lower than they've been. But, you know, I mean, I, to your point, it's 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 kind of interesting to, to see how different businesses are operating. And and especially with the the um, checking of the vaccine cards. Right. It's not something that you necessarily have to do, but a lot of businesses are going to continue to do it. Uh, whether it be political or just safety or mixture of the two. But it's kind of funny because, like, you know, when we think about the last time that, like, the masks were dropped in California, which was, I guess it was over the summer, um, you know, even before that, people were like, ah, we don't want to check. It, like, it, it's kind of weird. It's, like, flipped the other direction. It was, like, people were, like, relieved to get rid of it. But now they're like, you know what? It's been, like, over two years now maybe we just continue to be safe. You know, it's like, I'm not going to stop Mm -hmm. having hand sanitizer in my car, you know, right. You know, that kind of stuff. I think also, you know, we're, we're certainly not overlooking. I hope we're not overlooking the fact that, you know, I'm looking, I looked it up right now. It's on my screen. uh, 20, 2,850 deaths in the United States yesterday. That's a huge number still. But what they're basing this on is the fact that the Omicron spike has come down considerably and death, death numbers will come down considerably. alongside of that it just takes an extra week or so so you know hopefully we're moving in the right direction hopefully we're doing the right thing i think that um again out of caution my company is still all of our teams are still wearing masks and we're still checking at the door and everywhere i've been uh every bar and restaurant that i've been to is still still doing the same so i don't know anybody who's not doing it yet yeah and like i don't know i'm of i'm of two minds about it man because like if you walk into a place and they're like woohoo we don't have to check vax cards anymore isn't that great or alternatively <laughs> like if you're on the receiving end of that or like you know you're like i'm sorry i have to check your vax card and someone just like gets up in your face it's kind of like when you match with someone 
on a dating app and then you kind of ghost them and then like they kind of come at you which is like oh well fuck you then i didn't want to hang out with you anyway it's like thank you for confirming for me that this would have been a terrible fit and you would have been an absolute waste of my time you trash person like in a way they sort of did you a favor but i also i I worry because we have a lot of friends on this show in places like alabama and texas and you know redder states than the ones that the three of us live in and i worry that with that level of cover gone i don't know you know for those two examples that i gave for a lot of them when and if their max uh, mask and vax mandates went away but i worry that without that level of cover they're just going to expose their poor staff to just you know the the people whose constitutional rights have been so unjustly trod upon for the last two years by forcing yeah. them to strap a piece of paper to their face for the, <laughs> right. the health and safety and well-being of others. What is this fucking communist Russia under Stalin? Like, I don't know, man. I, yeah. I, I worry, but... I mean, we've got a week's worth of data here in New York. I haven't seen or heard anybody uh, having to deal with what you're describing. I hope that doesn't come to, to pass, but... The bottom line, uh, as we've known all along, is that we run private businesses and I can require whatever I want to require. You know, it's true. No shirt, yeah. no shirt, no shoes, no service. I may go the other way. If you've got shirts and shoes, I don't want you. Fucking A. You know what I mean? Speaking of no shoes and no shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Where is this segue going? Wrestling. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's get into some wrestling. Greg, who's in the studio with us? And why, uh, are we, and why us, and how are we going to talk about wrestling? Oh, we're we're. I, I'm not even sure if we're going to get to the whiskey part of this talk. But <laughs> joining us today from Few Spirits Tasting Room in Chicago, Illinois, we have Lolo McGrath, who is the manager there and also a wrestling producer, who is going to, I, I guess, walk us through the match made in heaven that we all never knew we wanted, but after the show, we'll be unable to imagine we ever lived without. <laughs> it's it's also obvious to me that I, I I always question how nobody else notices this sooner. But uh, if you'll if you'll allow me to draw the first parallel, please oh, we that. will allow, please. Bar- bartenders bartenders are pro wrestlers. You don't have health insurance to start, right? So you're just beating your body up all the time for the love of the game or whatever, right? Um, you're, you're glory, in glory, black bragging rights. Exactly. Well, you're in an industry where everyone's like, I'm in pain and I'm miserable, but I'm going to keep doing this shit anyways. Um, and it's and and that's fun. But no, it's it's the it's the bravado, right? Like I a think lot of big personalities, too. Right. It's it's personalities. Characters. You know what? There are so many bartenders, especially because I, I cut my teeth in Washington, D.C., where some of these bartenders were just automatically associated with their bar, of course, that happens in any city, but that feels just like the territory days with wrestling, right? Like you just know who hangs out where, you know what their vibe is, you know what music is going to play when they're, I don't know, I'd play myself on if I could before a shift, I don't, but it's always an option. There's there's a lot of cocktail competitions, you know, like where it's basically like WrestleMania, you know, everyone, they have their entry music, they have like their special moves, you know, like the, being their recipes, you know, it's like, I, I get it now. I'm starting to get it. So that's- well, I'm, I'm trying to elbow, elbow my way into that cocktail competition world because it's so fun and it's so rowdy and it has all of those elements. But like, where's the story? You know, the story, if you already know who's competing and these are usually your buddies and everything. But can, I mean, I'm imagining I'm, I'm imagining speed rack with like shit talk. I want mm, people. Yeah on the microphones cutting each other down a bit that, that sure a little, little preamble a little preamble to the to the drink slinging yeah i, I miss the days of uh steve schneider and giuseppe gonzalez you know like they would uh, yeah barmania they, yeah barmania i mean that's that's kind of what that was and you need to re- it needs to be resurrected or it needs to be you know moved around a little bit more and invite more people into the circle the squared good. circle the yeah. squared circle the uh the, the squared glass but yeah so that's one of my big focuses right now is bringing together these not just bar world whiskey world and wrestling but um i don't know just not every wrestling is having a really weird time right like tv wrestling is kind of coming back um if you look at the amount of money that AEW and the WWE are pulling who are those major league televised guys they're making money you know but 
I, I have this conversation every day that I'm having with you guys right now where it's like, oh, I was so into this when I was younger. I can name all of these wrestlers. I can name all these iconic moments. And then something happened and you fell off. And now's a good time to get back in. It's, uh, it's just so much different than the way that it was even 10, 15 years ago. In, in what way? Like, why is, why is now? I mean, so much has changed about our lives in the last 24 months. So, but, but what is, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm eager to know how that syncs up perfectly with wrestling. And I, and I know without knowing for a fact, I know for a fact that you have, uh, you know, the exact right explanation for this already. Well, and also I want to know how, how it is going to tie back into what you do for a living, for for a living, do you do? Uh, I'm assuming. I don't know why. I'm assuming you just you don't make money on the wrestling thing. But I, assume, I guess no, you probably do, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. God, no. You don't. You do not get. It's like that's the that's how it's different than bartending. You do not get in for the payday because you're not going to make one, right? Um, you're going to beat up your body and never make a payday. That's the difference, right? You walk out with cash in your pocket when you're bartending. When you're a wrestler, you're lucky to get like fifty bucks for beating the shit out of yourself. Or having somebody else beat the shit out of you, right? But in terms of why is it so much different now, um, there's been this indie revival. We've all started to realize, I think, in counterculture scenes that are a little bit more progressive. Um, folks are seeing, I think, the the value in wrestling in terms of theater and storytelling and the way that it is. It's like going to see a play or watching a movie, but you have a direct connection with the person who's entertaining you. You can make eye contact with them while they're they're riling you up. You can talk to them and they're going to give you the same personality that you saw in the ring. And it has this really fun way of just playing with reality. And if there's anything we know about the last two years, it's that reality fucking sucks, right? right. Like <laughs> none of this is fun. Yep. Uh, we're all very sad. And there's there's got to be something different you know there's it's it's considered this lowbrow form of entertainment but there's there's stories happening in the independent wrestling world right now there's angles and and storylines that have been going on for years and years and years and people have invested so much of of their heart in getting behind these wrestlers or getting behind these different factions and starting to see themselves in the wrestlers too like uh, the company that I primarily work for, Fight Club, which is based in D.C., is really upfront about the fact that this isn't just like, oh, we're progressive, we're anti-racist, we're this, that, that, and the other. It's no, it's definitively like we are pro-queer, we are pro-black, we are pro-the little guy, and we're very upfront about it. You're not, you're, you, you can look at a poster and you can look at one of our events and you know exactly what you're going to get yourself into, right? And uh, those posters and those cards of all the people who are wrestling is just way more representative now of people in the United States at large. There's a little bit of everybody out there. And I think wrestling used to be considered, you know, the straight white dude's game. In a lot of ways, it still is. But the independent scene is it's completely different than I think what a lot of people are expecting. That's awesome. I've actually seen a couple of uh, these pop up and like, it's usually like some of my buddies in Austin, Texas who are like going to these events, you know, like it's definitely kind of like, I don't, it, you know what it reminds me of actually is you're talking about things falling off and then coming back. It reminds me of like in the like mid two thousands when like roller derby came back mm -hmm. in a huge way. Yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Cause there's lots of personalities, even though you're like on a team, everyone had their own like stage name and you know, they, they had their own style and, and it would, you know, cause like roller derby was bigger than the seventies and then all of a sudden it was back in the two thousands. So I kind of feel that same way. Cause I get what you're saying. Like in the like mid nineties or late nineties is the last time that a lot of us probably, a lot of people, we you know, probably like stopped paying attention to it, but now we're, <laughs> we probably need to get in shape and <laughs> do something <laughs> different for once. And I mean, honestly, it's true because a lot of, uh, you know, I, I know that a lot of like, you know, speaking of Giuseppe, like he's like, you know, he's gotten in really into fitness. Like he stopped drinking and he's doing something completely different. And, you know, like it's, it's an interesting progression, you know, it's a, it's a very weird world, but 
you know, the contrast that I'm really enjoying is the fact that for my day job or shoot job, as we would call them in the wrestling world, my shoot job is, you know, managing the tasting room for this very premium whiskey brand. And I, you know, we, I, I don't know how much in just bartender, I, let me backtrack a little bit. I get a lot of people coming in my tasting room thinking to themselves, like, they're going to have all of this jargon thrown at them. It's going to be very, very much like a secret world that you're not a part of, because maybe that's how they've they've always conceptualized the world of, of craft spirits, right? Because when you flip through some of these magazines and you look at some of these, these stars on the scene, there are a lot of three-piece suits and cufflinks and expensive watches, right. right? There's no getting away from that. But if you can sip premium whiskey while watching a wrestling show that happened in like, you know, we're, we're in my tasting room huddled around my crappy computer watching something that happened in a high school gymnasium somewhere. There's so much, I don't know. There's so much fun in that. It's yeah. fun. It's fun. We're doing something very classy and we're also exploring something that is not considered classy at all. I don't know. It's just another, exactly. It's another way to just, I think, bring people into the fold. And it's like I'd mentioned before, some people have had bad experiences. I don't want to say bad experiences, but preconceptions about the craft spirits world in the same exact way that they have preconceptions about the pro wrestling world. And if you walk into one of my tours, tastings, one of my speakeasy nights, or if you walk into one of my pro wrestling shows, I want you to walk out with the same exact feeling, which is one, I want to do that again. And two, you feel like you were genuinely a part of something because there is this interesting sort of secret club brotherhood mentality that exists in spirits that I think is actually can be used in a really fun way, right? Um, as long as it's not being used as an exclusive and gatekeeping way. But yeah, yeah like there, there are two worlds that are known for, for a little bit of gatekeeping, for being very jargon heavy, for not always being beginner friendly. And uh, so let's combine the two and just see what the hell happens. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about your shoot job, which is you are you work for Few Spirits there in Chicago, which is where you're calling us from today, right? Yep. And how long have you been with them? And, and talk to us a little bit about the tasting room. Yeah, not long at all, actually. I joined the team uh, last spring after things started to settle down. <laughs> Air quotes, settle down yeah. COVID-wise, right? <laughs> that didn't happen. But I came from a really weird background jumping into that role too um so this is this is not a storyline i'm not making this up greg was there (laughs) greg was there the day that i realized that i wanted to get into the booze industry because uh greg and i had met in washington dc geez dude what like seven years ago Uh, (laughs) maybe more i don't know what was that maybe more yeah maybe more but i was uh i was dating your bartender roommate. And Mm -hmm. I remember it was a February, I think in like 14 or 15, when he broke up with me. And I was so pissed off because I was a teacher. I was really straight laced. I had this like, very normal person kind of job. I hung out with very normal person kinds of people. And uh, except you exactly. And out (laughs) out of spite, out of spite, this dude just stomps all over my heart. And I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to become a bartender and I'm going to be better at you than you ever were, which didn't happen. He's actually lovely. And uh, went, in, went, into, went into craft world. <laughs> and uh, I was working in a music venue that is very much like beer in a shot and maybe some light cocktails, but premium spirits and higher brow spirits were not really quite on my radar screen. So when I moved here, and I'd been back in uh, back in the education world and not doing anything with booze for a couple years. Um, everything that happened with few was just me. I was throwing spaghetti at the wall, and you guys you guys have talked to my boss Paul, yep. um, oh, yeah. the master distiller. Mm-hmm. He's a fucking personality, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm sure you can imagine um, when I walked into that tasting room for what was supposed to be an interview and was really just two hours of shooting the shit. And talking about wrestling and how we could like make whiskey something more approachable to everybody and talking about all those parallels. Um, I walked out that night just being like, okay, I told myself I was never going to be in the booze world anymore, but I have to be here. Like this is specifically where I want to be. I don't know if it was any other distillery. 
certainly not any other bar because I've really put my proper bartending days behind me. Um, something about few was it just spoke to me as a as a wrestling manager and a wrestling producer, and that's I, I jumped in right away. Like I didn't even have to hesitate. That's great. It's like it found you. Yeah, and like I said, you've 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 met Paul Hetko. He's a huge personality. Um, I've probably said let's make it weird fifteen times by now, but that's his mentality too. So, absolutely a collaborative match made in heaven with someone who is making quite literally my my favorite whiskey and my favorite gin on the planet, but who is also not taking that craft so seriously that we can't get together and say, hey, would it be a, you think it would be interesting to have like a ringless wrestling match in the alley next to the distillery sometime just to bring in some more weirdos and see what happens. Nice. Um, so that's in the works. <laughs> Uh, I, mean, I was going to ask what stage of production that was in, because I know that this wasn't one of those things you just kind of talk about and then never do. I was like, did this already happen or is it like coming soon? Like, It has not happened. We're trying to figure out because we've got this great distillery in a back alley. It's literally in a back alley. That's how I open up all of my tours and tastings, like adjust your expectations. We're in a back alley. This is not super shiny. This is not pristine. You're going to taste something that's really good, but you're doing it in what is essentially like a glorified shipping container. That's what my tasting room is, right? And we've got this great alley space next to it um, that is unused minus, you know, for deliveries and getting barrels transported and whatnot. And we're trying to see if we can fit a ring back there. I want a ring. Like, ringless stuff is super fun, but I don't think, you know... when it's there's a, no it, ring involved, about, it looks too real. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's about what you just said. It's about setting that expectation. Exactly. Exactly. You don't wanna, it's, you don't wanna, it's getting people ready for what wanna, they're going to see. You don't want to over romanticize, but you don't want to under romanticize either, right? You should do 100%. a cage. <laughs> I'd love to. Cages are a pain in the ass. I could talk <laughs> about cages all day, but I do. I do love a good cage match. Um, <laughs> but also, F like few FEW. Come on, that sounds like a wrestling fed, right? Yeah, like totally. it's it's right there. It's right there. The joke has really already is. written itself. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Fucking egregious wrestling. There we go. Yeah, yeah done. Totally done. Yeah. Well, well, since we're a show about drinking, uh, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. But when we come back, let's talk about a few spirits, mostly whiskeys and a couple of nice gins that I like as well. Let's keep, let's keep the conversation going with Lola. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to The Speakeasy. We are here talking with Lolo McGrath from Few Spirits. And when we left, we were talking about, uh, first of all, how we're a wrestling podcast now. But we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit more about uh, spirits real quick before we completely switch gears to our new focus. Because we were we were telling the story about how you and I met like, I don't know, eight, fifteen, thirty-two years, years ago in DC. <laughs> yeah. And the the story of how we reconnected a couple of months ago is also equally bizarre because you and I were both doing weird shit with Galliano on social media at the same time. And we kind of connected, we're like, oh, you too, huh? Like, are you like kind of intrigued, but also like weirdly sick of this too? So I was showing <laughs> off. Uh, a, a cabinet, an entire closet in my home that I have committed to a single joke because I'm just that committed to this bit. But what were you doing with with this 
insane, weird, tall bottle at the same time. Commit to the bit. Absolutely. You got to commit to the bit, man. (laughs) Here's the fun plot twist. I was never actually messing with that bottle itself. Um, Hmm. So just a fun little like bureaucratic background. I can serve cocktails at Few Spirits. I can serve them for here or batched to go. But the base and most of the ingredients that are used, if they involve alcohol, have to come from in-house just due to what our licensure is. So I gave myself a really bizarre challenge back in October where for a week, I wanted to convert the tasting room into a sleazy 1970s motel. I love that aesthetic. I love the music. I love the vibe. I love how gross it is. I I like gross (laughs) stuff. All right. You know, we had like a whole key bowl and it was very funny because we did it as a pop-up bar. I called it Few 72. Uh, 1972 was the very first year that alcohol could legally be served in Evanston. Um, And it was actually served at the Holiday Inn that had gone in that year. So it all tied together brilliantly. But I was left with this problem of like, okay, I'm only doing disco cocktails. I want to be really accurate about the way that I'm doing this because I like to commit to the bit, right? Um, But I can't use some of these specialty ingredients or other spirits that I really need for something. Um, So before getting into the way that I did my headbanger, one example was like, a godfather, right? You need scotch, you need amaretto. I didn't have either on hand. So I took our single malt and I infused it with this really, really great smoky tea to try to give it a little bit more of that scotch flavor. And then uh, played around with just different ways to add almonds to it, whether it was almond bitters, almond tinctures, almond infused simple, and came up with something that was not accurate, but it was what we could do in such a weird little space that's not conducive necessarily to cocktailing. Um, but yeah, I for I wanted to do a Harvey Wallbanger because you have to. Mm-hmm. You have to. Yeah. That's, you can't that's the bit. Yeah. Exactly. It's 1972. There's a Harvey Wallbanger involved somewhere. There's a Harvey Wallbanger, but I didn't have I didn't have all my ingredients that I would need. I didn't have a Harvey, so I made my Hletco headbanger by uh <laughs> You know, I'm I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at all of these different botanicals that would go in that might be able to get me away from just regular screwdriver territory. And uh miraculously enough, the barrel gin that we make pulled it off. Weird. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> barrel gin. You can put it in anything. Yeah, a hard degree. Uh cosine on barrel gin. Loving it. Uh, it, you know, it kind of combines the worlds of whiskey and gin into one thing. And, I'm, you know, I've got a drink on my menu that's been there for uh, almost our entire time, which next month will be 11 years, called the Sharpie Mustache, which has rye whiskey and London dry gin in it. So I love that that kind of flavor note. It's it's fun. It's um, I just feel like barrel aged gins have they have the range. You can do so many fun things with them that otherwise might not occur like. For the same exact pop-up, I really wanted to make pina coladas. I'm not fucking around with rum at the distillery. We don't make rum. It's sticky, right? Um, So how am I going to do that? (laughs) That's your reason? It's It's too gross. It's sticky. It's gross. No, thank you. It's delicious. Someone else can can do the dirty work. But uh, barrel-aged gin as a substitute for rum and a pina colada, it, it, it gets the job done. So I, I got to ask, because Paul is no stranger to experimenting, did he kind of like look at what you were doing, kind of be like, hmm, and is there like going to be uh, like a pina colada barrel gin edition coming out? Like sort of a, a Doritos Locos taco feedback loop of just kind of ongoing ideasmanship? Man, I hope so. Um, when he hired me, he literally gave me the keys and said, don't break the law and just left me to my own devices um, immediately. Oh, absolutely. He's yeah. like, all right, get as weird as you want. Just keep it legal. I'm like, all right, shit, that's fine. Uh, that sounds doable <laughs> to me. Um, so no, he didn't. He didn't look over my shoulder once. Like he showed up, of course, for the uh, for the soft open of the entire pop up and had a great time. And was just like, you know, he's a he likes to just drink his whiskey. So to taste his product that he's worked so hard to perfect over the years, used in a way that was like a very affectionate bastardization. Yeah, the un- the unintended use. It's the yeah, like none of the, none of those spirits belong in any of those drinks, but you've got to commit to the bit. 
there's no other way to do it. And um, yeah, I was I was shocked that he enjoyed these drinks <laughs> as much as he did. I pulled it off. <laughs> and what about the audience? I'm sure the audience had a great time as well. Oh, of course, because in, you know, Chicago is one thing where the distillery is actually located. Evanston is another because, again, you couldn't drink there till 1972 and it is the birthplace of the temperance movement. So there is a vibe, right? There's a there's a weird vibe in Evanston that still kind of floats over the city in terms of people not being party animals. And I get it. That's not why the city was built. But with the pandemic and so many people coming into Evanston from Chicago, young people who realized, oh, I would like a front yard and I don't want to live in a condo anymore. I'm going to a suburb. Uh, They're looking for something to do and they want something that's not just the neighborhood bar. Right. Um, And that's this, this was my attempt to kind of kick that off and also just to show people you know, the this tasting room had been closed for two years. Right. It's been a shit year for everyone. Nothing was really happening. Again, we don't take our we, we take our whiskey really seriously, but we don't take ourselves particularly seriously. And just a, a fun relaunch of a, a literal speakeasy, because that's why I run it on the weekends. You know, you show up, you get what you get. And that kind of trained people to come in and be like, all right, there's going to be something weird on the menu. It's it's sure, never you, you, gonna you'd, be typical. You'd condition them to be open to to something unique and interesting. That's what you come in for. And not unique and interesting in terms of I'm not a I'm not a cocktailer. Okay. I like when people were taking photos of me stirring these drinks, I'm like, please don't look at my hands. Please don't look at my hands. Please don't look at my hands. Um, cannot handle a spoon to save my life, but I know it tastes good. <laughs> And I know it tastes fun. And the vast majority of people coming in this tasting room to buy bottles, not necessarily to drink, they're not cocktailers either, but they kind of want that permission to take a bottle home and do something fun with it instead of just the typical, okay, I can only drink this by itself or with a drop of water or with an ice cube. Um, I just want to rip the pretension away from from this universe and just show like you you don't have to be perfect at this. If you have ideas and you can experiment, my, my regulars who come in know that I'm not always going to hit the mark where I personally want it to be in terms of my cocktails, but I had fun with it. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, you know, a lot of people who go to tasting rooms, I, I happen to work in one in Napa and it's a brandy tasting room. Um, but you know, a lot of people coming in they're like you said, they're not all like cocktail nerds coming in to to like kind of like play stump the bartender or whatever they're coming there to learn about your spirits right and so exactly a lot of times it might be a lot of people it's probably their first time tasting um you know some of these spirits like for instance you know they might be a gin drinker but they don't really drink whiskey and that's your opportunity to kind of like show them that or vice versa i mean for me for the brandy house it's like most people still to this day, even if they're like well-versed in like whiskey or, or other spirits or cocktails, a lot of people still don't know that brandy is based with grapes, you know, or yep. wine grapes. So, you know, you got to take it from square one a lot of times. And it doesn't have to be as weird, but it's a lot more fun if it is. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like I like your approach to it. It's cool. It's like it's, it, it doesn't have to like, you know, have a, a, a rotating themed cocktail menu. Uh, every season you just do it whenever you feel like it and as long as it's legal right <laughs> as long as it's legal because yeah. <laughs> i w- i want to go to those cocktail bars i want to drink from yeah. people who have perfected their craft that's what i want to go do right so there's absolutely a place for that it exists um but for the purposes of a tasting room the vast majority of people coming in there are not coming for a speakeasy they're coming to pick up bottles or buy a gift or just ask a bunch of questions about a world that they're brand new to. So my priority, at least as of as of now, as the tasting room exists, is to really just get down on people's level and be like, hey, you can do this too. <laughs> when you're running a tasting room that's literally in an alley in the, in the first neighborhood north of the city of Chicago, yep. and someone walks in the door, their intent to buy is already pretty high, I have to assume. They could have just easily gone to their local Benny's or liquor store, right? Oh, there's a Benny's not even three blocks away. They could absolutely go there instead. So what's your? why do you think they come in to your spot? And then what's what's your sort of approach to hospitality and approach to sort of maybe solidifying that sale? 
I mean, if I can tie it back to a wrestling reference, uh, cult of personality. <laughs> I'd be I'd be shocked if you didn't tie it back to wrestling. <laughs> cult of personality. Um, there's a there's a couple things that at play there. I think the first is definitely that like people know Paul. He's a he's an established figure in the neighborhood. So a lot of Evanstonians and folks who are north in Chicago are already familiar with this brand and know what they're getting when they walk in. Um, folks who are brand new. Tons of people who, again, I think a lot of folks got into spirits during the pandemic because of how many tastings you could do from home. All of these different Zoom tastings, all of these do-it-yourself ways of doing things, and started to like wet their palate a little bit more for, for spirits. And now they're ready to come and do something in person. But you're right. A lot of people are coming in with an intent to buy. They know what's going on there. But why come to us instead? Um, well, one, I'm going to let you try it before you buy it. <laughs> That's the you know that's of course allure, that's what a tasting the, room is the, the allure of free yeah it certainly gets it gets gets people's attention it's it's okay so we've got three different three different bourbons and you came in thinking you were just going to get this one kind but surprise there's something else that you have not heard of before and you're interested well I can tell you about it and I can literally point to the still that it was made in right there oh and here's the distiller walking around who probably touched your bottle because we're a really small staff. Right. Um, in total at the distillery itself and our rickhouse, it's uh, eight people altogether. So it is it's itty bitty. And I think also, man, this sounds it sounds so corny, but everybody's really happy to be there. And people want to buy directly from us and not through somebody else because they know that we're an establishment where everyone is full time. Everyone has health insurance. Everyone is taken care of. Everyone feels really valued. And the vibes are just really good in that room. It's a distillery in an alley. You would think that in the middle of the night when it's dark outside and there's nobody on the street, you would think it would be so creepy in there, right? Because your, your lines of sight are cut off. There's all sorts of weird noises going on. But something about that space has like the anti-haunted energy. <laughs> like just <laughs> like, oh, something good happened in here today. I don't know what happened in here, but something good happened and someone was happy. And yeah, it's just it's the spirit of that of that space. That's why people come back. They they like us <laughs> as people. They like the things that we drink. They know they're going to be able to ask a lot of questions. And even if I don't have an answer for them. I'm going to brainstorm something new with them. So it's a, it's a social experience when it comes down to it. Of course. Well, in my notes here, it says that you maybe wanted to talk about the culture of hospitality and how that can be improved. You want to talk about that a little bit? Right. Um, and nothing I can get particularly deep into right now, because again, I'm in such a small space and I'm sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what works in terms of, you know, me as someone who's a front facing employee dealing and talking to patrons, guests, customers all the time. How do I make sure that I don't burn out, right? There's all these lists, exercise more, eat right, get enough sleep. It's always a laundry list of things to <laughs> hand to a bartender that they're never yeah. going to have the time to do. Yeah. And like, it's also every ever. time you pan that list to someone and so they're just like, I know, like I'm aware and I will never do any of these. Like you got anything else for me? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so you know, I'll tie back to what I was talking about before. I could punish myself and kick my own ass and say, you know, screw it. Instead of my batch cocktails, I'm going to force myself to be someone who is mixing live and in front of people and doing everything in front of the customer and running this place way more in the style of the way that a cocktail bar would be run. But I got other stuff going on. I have other things I'm trying to take care of in that space. I don't want to burn myself out by holding myself to such an impossibly high standard. And so that is where so much of my philosophy comes from of saying, hey, I have a level of knowledge that is considerably higher than the patron who walks in the door, but it's still, I'm not a master of my craft. I'm a master of some crafts. I'm a master of keeping it weird. But in terms of what we associate a speakeasy, a tasting room, a cocktail with, um, I'm 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 not at my peak and that's that's fine. I use this as a practice space for everything else that is to come later and uh it's like having my own laboratory. It's great. Well, I think in a way that kind of ties back to what you were talking about earlier about how people, you know, often associate tasting rooms with like a little 
there's a little aroma of shame about them if you can't walk in and talk competently about, you know, like every single bourbon that's been made in the United States of America for the last 150 years. Like mm-hmm. they are places where I think people, even people like me, like I feel this way sometimes. It's like I walk into places like that, especially if they're like really nice and purpose built and like you can tell that all the equipment in there is polished every single day. I walk in knowing that I'm going to be prepared to be a little bit judged, even if I'm not, they just sort of give off that aura. And that sucks because, you know, I don't like the notion of, oh, like someone's palate is better than someone else or someone's like better at tasting than someone else. It's like, no, man, everyone knows what good is. Everyone knows what they like. Everyone knows what's interesting. Everyone knows what is and is not appealing to them. And if you push them on it, which all of us on this show have done, like people who say, oh, I don't have a good palate will tell you, no, they actually do know what they're talking about. They just don't want to feel like they don't they don't want people when they when they give their honest answer of a spirit, they're worried that the person who air quotes knows more than them is going to go, huh, OK, and then move on. I, and I, I, that. I, I, I think you're you're right, Greg, but I think it really comes down to language. You know, I think anyone who's old enough to drink has 21 years of palate memory for all the things they've ever tasted and smelled. I think mm-hmm. that we simply don't talk about these things enough to, you know, we do, of course we do, but general, the, the general public doesn't talk about these things enough to develop that, that, that sort of vocabulary, that language. And that's the embarrassing part. I think, I don't think uh, you're probably at least some percentage, right. But I don't think people are as, as embarrassed to feel like they, they feel wrong. I think they're embarrassed to speak like they're speaking wrong. I, I, I think you guys are both, you guys are both right. Um, One thing I do when I start a tasting session is I will say, you know, anybody can read the back of a bottle. I can tell you what notes you're going to get based on what we intended, but I'm not telling you guys jack shit until somebody has a weird guess because someone always is going to have a weird guess for some intended flavor that is not that, right? But you tasted it. You tasted it. Just because it wasn't intentional doesn't mean that you didn't taste it. Something in your brain from however many decades of life that your palate has been developing, something got tipped off in your head. And I think one good example is uh, our breakfast gin, Earl Grey tea and lemon peel. Delicious. I love it. I get asked a lot if there's bubble gum or if there's the uh, powder from the outside of Wrigley's chewing gum or saltwater taffy. So if that gives you an idea of the kind of sweetness that they're finding. And people feel embarrassed to come out of left field with some of those. Because, um, yeah, I, I mean, you're, you, you guys are both totally right. We don't explain to people that they have a palate. Folks just think that either you have one or you don't. And it's like, no, you've got so much cool stuff already happening in your brain that you can pull upon. What did you grow up eating? What did you burn your, your tongue on pizza last week? Did you drink coffee this morning? Um, is it cold outside? All of these different things are going to influence the way that you are tasting something in this moment. But this moment is just a, it's just a snapshot of what your taste buds are. They're going to change. You're going to have fun with it. There's no such thing there really is no such thing as a wrong answer. We know that, but not everybody knows that. Yeah, your palate's constantly evolving anyway. And, you know, I've been reading a lot, even just over the past two weeks, about some some kind of, I don't know, I'm just rereading some books, honestly, because I was trying to look for some recipes and I just got, you know, I went down the rabbit hole. But, um, you know, when you're reading things like the Flavor Bible, and like it talks about the development of your palate and, like, say like we weren't all born with a sweet tooth like we literally no 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 one was born with a sweet tooth that's not a real thing it's something that mm-hmm. happens over time whenever you taste sweets and you start to actually like them more then you're like okay well i'm into this but it's not like a real thing that you're born with right so everyone's palate it's all based on experience that's all it is and to get, to kind of like echo what other was saying you know the the flavors that you're the vocabulary that you have is really just based on your experience. So, you know, in, in, in the actual frequency of, of saying like, say like apricot, you know what apricot is in a lot of things, like as far as mm-hmm. like age spirits go. Um, but unless you've actually tasted apricot or it's been a long time since you've had apricot, anything, you know, it's just not in your mind. So then when someone does say we're at, at your tasting room and you say, you know, there's a little bit of apricot here. Then that person's going to be like, Oh shit. 
that's like all I'm getting is apricot. Mm-hmm. I just forgot about apricot. You know, that's based, it happens all the time too. Um, the power of suggestion. It's the power of suggestion, but it's also, it, it's, it's, it is part that, but it is more to me. It's just about like the familiarity and like the frequency of it, you know? And true, true. so it's, I would just say, you just have to keep tasting everything. There's this kid that I've been playing music with lately. He's 21. He's a great guitarist. He wants to be a mixologist. When I was 21, the word mixologist was not something we used ever, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, to, and it's almost like a four letter word to me these days. Um, but he really wants to learn about it. I'm like, man, you know, I just tell him like, just, you have to fucking taste everything. You got to yeah. stop ordering the same beer every time we go get lunch, you know, like t- yeah. order a whiskey, just start with a whiskey sour or a whiskey soda, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's about the experience, I guess is all I'm saying. Yeah. And cataloging them. And, and I think, you know, honestly paying attention. Yeah. You know, for years and years and years, I carried around a, a moleskin where I wrote down everything that I smelled and tasted. This but this goes back to when I was a chef, you know, mm-hmm. uh, going to markets, smelling things, writing down what they smelled like, writing down what they looked like, you know, getting that visceral sense of them and, and then sort of writing it down as a way for me to catalog it in my brain. And then that's been immeasurably helpful for me when I got behind a bar and, and since then. Um, so, yeah, I think... And even breaking yeah, down those things that you're you're smelling and tasting. Like one day I was smelling some brandy and it smelled like suede to me. And I was like, wait, it's not my boots, but it's like I'm getting suede. Mm-hmm. And now I have to figure out what this actually is. And I was like, oh, well, you know, like, so then I started smelling my jackets and my boots. And I was like trying to break down what like the actual edible things uh, would be in in that 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 aroma. And, you know, it came down to like almond and like oak and things like that. So like it, it's just about finding it, you know, but you can't find it unless you look for it. Right. Right. And you can find (laughs) you in the alley in Evanston. Okay. When you said Evanstonians, I immediately went to Evanstoners. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, that's the whole thing for sure. And then you've also said throwing spaghetti at the wall. I'm like starving now. Um, I really, (laughs) I want some breakfast spaghetti. So that. Those are two of my notes, so that I put in my moleskin over here. Um, nice from the show. But okay, so do you have a regular schedule for these events that you have at the at the distillery? <laughs> Man, I sure wish. Uh, I go by the seat of my pants all the damn time, um, constantly changing up schedules, which is fun. But I always tell people like I love doing private tours and tastings and really being able to sit down with folks. So I'm always just like, get in touch with the distillery, the distillery directly. I will set up all, you know, I don't know if you want to come in and you only want to taste different kinds of variations on an old fashioned. Let's do that. If you want to come and just taste everything that we have off of our website, we got plenty of public tours. People can come sign up for those are fun. They're a blast, but some of those more curated experiences are really fun too. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's like you'd mentioned earlier, and we, we don't have to get too much into it because I do have to get to the uh, aforementioned alley very soon. Uh, but with Heaven Hill picking us up, you know, the world is kind of my oyster in terms of how much bigger I want to grow this program. Because um, right now I operate a speakeasy on the weekends and I have my tours and my tastings during the week. But it's such a cool space. There is so much room for all kinds of other stuff to happen. Um and I'm yeah I'm 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 going crazy after this this whole acquisition thing. I'll be at a uh, Widow Jane in Philadelphia distilling next week to start coming up with my uh, my wish list basically for what I want this program to be. That's amazing. right after the wrestling match. Literally yeah. the day after. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, <laughs> and, and I'm glad we did get to mention that that Heaven Hill, a family owned brand, uh, it's been around for years. They make tons of stuff that we all love and enjoy. Uh, I'm really glad that 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 you've been sort of acquired by a group that I know isn't going to come in and, and do any tinkering. They just want to make you excel. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And I need that help. Cause obviously as, as you've probably gathered from this conversation, like I am still on such a path of growth in this industry myself because I was that beer in a shop bartender for so long and there's so much catching up to do. Um, I, I get by based on having fun and hopefully having a half decent personality. Right. But uh, with this with this acquisition, I'm realizing that I have so many more tools at my disposal to mm-hmm. keep on stepping up that level of knowledge. So I will get to where I want to be. I'll just uh, 
you know, try to keep, try to, I'll, I'll try to remember the little guy someday. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't forget us when you're, you know, well, rigging in millions of dollars a year. I think you're out there blazing your own trail and I applaud it. So, I mean, way to go. It's been really great having you on the show today to talk about wrestling and whiskey and hospitality in general. Uh, I appreciate you spending your time with us. If anyone wanted to follow along with your shenanigans, where could they catch you on social? Right on. Um, let's see. I'm so bad at this part. Uh, I know in the Instagram, you'll just tag my uh, tag my Instagram. L-E-A-U-X, two underscores, L-E-A-U-X. Low, double underscore, low. <laughs> low, double underscore, low. Exactly. So Love that it. is the best place to get me. And then, you know, I don't, I don't man the few spirits Instagram, but... If you uh, if you follow spirits on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, all of my specialty events, any concerts that we have in the alley, because we have a whole bunch of those pop ups, speakeasy nights, uh, just weird classes that I might throw together just for fun. Um, they'll be all over socials, just on those those brand pages. I'll make sure to tag all those in the speakeasy social media so everybody can see that stuff as well. Hey, guys, you know what? So I've been saying this for a while because I, I haven't spent enough time for Chicago and Evanston being so classic like old school American cities. Uh, and that's what I'm into. It's the one I have spent the least in. I say we do a speakeasy from the alley from the distillery. Hell yeah. Can we do that? I've yeah. wanted to, I've wanted to record a yeah, podcast in there for so long. Cause it's such a good space for it. So hell yeah. Yeah. Let's we'll come do a remote. We'll do a live one. We'll have a uh, guest yeah. come and hang out with us and drink some whiskey and some gin. And I'll bring we'll a guitar <laughs> and we'll bring the fancy guitar. <laughs> um, cool. Well, Lolo, it's been so much fun having you on the show today. Um, really well, fun. You. Like, uh, you know, like talking about wrestling too, and like, yeah. and drawing the parallels between uh, the booze world and, and wrestling. I, I was not expecting so many. Um, but I'm glad we had, had that conversation. So thanks again there for that. <laughs> um, all right. So that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Click on the beating heart to donate to the station to keep us going, and check out Few Spirits. Until next time. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.